Hello, brewery fanatics, and welcome back to another episode of Brewery Travels. I'm your host, Joel Geyer, otherwise known as Brewery Travels on social media. And today we are going to the Big Apple. We are going to the city that until I may someday do some episodes on cities outside of the country for now this is the largest city that we will be profiling and that is new york city and as always i have two amazing guests with me today uh chris and miguel who are both esteemed beer travelers as well so let's go ahead and get started by just doing kind of a brief introduction um, about what got you into beer and how you're kind of part of the beer community chris um so i got into beer uh you know, it wasn't New York City that really wrote me in. It was living in Burlington, Vermont that mm. wrote me in. That'll uh, do it. In the, yeah, exactly. I mean, talk about iconic beer cities. But this was at a time where uh, Magic Hat and Switchback and Long Trail, um, this was uh, this is before The Alchemist. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, was, it was a burgeoning scene, but it was a scene that was more mature than any other place on the East Coast. Um, I, I lived there and then moved back to New York City um, and start started to see the little inklings of a, of a burgeoning beer scene in New York with uh, Brooklyn Brewery and Six Point and Kelso at the time. Um, and uh, a couple of years after that, I really wanted a resource for beer uh, to exist on the Internet because I wanted to know where I could find good beer and very few places like that existed at the time. So I started... Uh, a website called Brew York, which I still publish stuff on to this day. Uh, it has been around for uh, almost 14 years, and um, I just continue to spread the good word of, uh, of good beer in New York City. And it's come a long way since uh, those first few years. And, and for the listeners, I know a lot of folks are always quote unquote impressed with, with my brewery count. And then I always tend to point them in your direction. So do you want to kind of make sure that listeners know just, just what we're dealing with when we, when we talk about you being a beer traveler? Uh, as, as we're recording this, uh, I have been to 2,571 breweries. Um, I think, uh, by the time this is out, I will probably have been to uh, maybe five or 10 more. We'll see. We'll see how, how this all goes. Yeah, but. if you follow if you follow Chris, well, we'll do the shout outs at the end. If you follow him on on Twitter, Instagram, you're you're bound to see new breweries popping up almost daily. So, <laughs> almost daily. Although I'm trying to slow down because I, I'm <laughs> I I have a I have a goal for brewery three thousand. So I've got to I've got to slow my pace down a little. Got got, got to hit the right ones. I know how that goes. Uh, uh, Miguel, what about you? Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Joel, for the invitation. Being here on your on your podcast, I appreciate it. Hello, Chris. Um, so my name is Miguel Rivas, and I am known in the beer community as the Beer Trekker. Uh, I started this project uh, in 2013. So a little bit of background on your question, how I got into beer. Uh, I was born in the United States, but I grew up in Venezuela. So growing up in Venezuela, we didn't have a lot of choices when it comes to beer. We had like the one macro, kind of like the Budweiser here in the U.S., that's the only thing I knew, and it was until I moved back to the States, that was 1995, I moved to Boston for some reason. 
And that year that I got to Boston uh, on that Christmas in 1995, I went to actually Burlington, Vermont as well. I had a cousin living there and I went to visit her and having dinner one night, uh, her boyfriend at the time came with a six pack of beers and he was going to school, uh, culinary school. So he comes home with a six pack and he said, you have to try this. This is some friends of mine that go to my school. They just started a brewery. That brewery was Magic Hat. So that was the first craft beer that I got, that I tried uh, ever. Uh, and then from there, I moved to Miami. That was in 1996. Around that time, there was nothing happening in, in Florida or Miami. So if I wanted to drink anything, I don't know, exciting or exotic, I will have to drink like Corona or Presidente or Heineken. That was like about it. Um, but I was still curious, you know, after having tried that beer, that Magic Hat beer. So I had a friend, his stepdad, he, he was subscribed to one of these beer of the month clubs. So every month he will get a box of beers, random beers. And most of them I had no idea. So whatever he didn't like, he will put at, at the, at the, far end of the fridge so every time i would go and visit my friend i would just go and you know go through the fridge and see whatever was in the back he was not drinking i was drinking and that was like my introduction to you know breweries here in the united states but my real when i became really serious about it was when i moved to new york in 2002 i had a, one of my younger brothers he was working at this french uh, brasserie in manhattan still around it's called express and they open 24 hours or used to at least and i remember before moving to new york he was telling me about all these beers that he sold there that were made by monks in belgium and i had no idea so when i moved to new york in 2002 and i went to visit him a few days later to this place the first beer he gave me to try was orval and that was that was it like after that beer i was hooked on Belgian beers and I tried pretty much all of the Trappist that he had there, Chimay, Rochefort, Achel, uh, and I was just hooked. And for the next 10 years, I just did that. I tried, I, I tried to have every single Belgian beer that I could find uh, in New York, which was not a hard thing to do. There's, there were some really good places that you could find stuff, especially Belgian beers. They were just collecting mm -hmm. dust in the shell so it was great for me i remember there was this place in manhattan called new beer distributor on christie street i will go there at least once a week or every other week just to see what they had because they had a pretty big selection of world beers but uh, the belgium uh, um, slot was again just collecting dust and nobody was touching it so for me it was very exciting and after doing that for 10 years, I decided, you know what, I want to try these beers that these monks bake. And I went to Belgium in 2013 for a week. I rented a car, took my camera, and I visited all six of the Trappist Abbeys in Belgium. And that's how the, the beer trekker started. Yeah, that that's great. I mean, I think you both, you know, have had, you know, you, you have like that deep background in new york city but you obviously have also been influenced by many of the other amazing beers and, and beer scenes uh here in the country and abroad and so now though focusing in on new york city um whenever you're talking about new york city just in general no matter what the topic is diversity is going to be part of that conversation 
Um, so Miguel, how would you say diversity has helped shape the craft beer scene? And how do you see that diversity evolving more moving forward? Uh, well, I've been in New York for 20 years now. Uh, mm -hmm. This year is going to be my 20th year. And again, when I moved to New York, there was not a lot of choices. I think Brooklyn Brewery was the only thing that was there. Uh, then 2006, I think that's when Six Point came in and Kelso. Uh, but that was about it. So for a good six years, there was not much. And so there was, yeah, the city is very diverse. That's, you know, that's always been the case. But in, as far as beers, there was not much. Uh, so it wasn't until 2000, I want to say 11, 12. That's when the like this new revival of breweries started coming about like Rockaway, Big Alice, Finback, other half. They were kind of like the the ones who, who started that kind of revival. So um, fast forward 10 years later, uh, now you have you can see that I think we have one brewery in each uh, of the boroughs now, uh, yeah. which is great. Two, two in each. Well, yeah, two in each actually as of uh, as of last weekend, if we had Brooklyn, uh, sorry, Bronx Brewery in Manhattan to that. Right. So we have <laughs> one brewery in each of the five boroughs, which is great. But as for your question, how is this going to evolve? Like there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of if we're talking about diversity in all aspects of diversity, like yeah. you know, female-owned breweries, not a lot. Uh, people of color-owned breweries, not a lot. So there's still a lot of uh, there's still a lot of work to do. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I'll and I'll say that it, you know in in a lot of neighborhoods that are um, where there are breweries, the neighborhoods are still. It, at least the way that I observe still more diverse than the people in the brewery tap rooms are. And yeah. that is, and that is, we'll know when we've hit a point where um, we are like truly creating a welcoming environment for everyone. When the tap rooms do reflect the neighborhoods that they're in. I mean, like, you know, my, by the neighborhood that I live in is is a you know a, a majority minority neighborhood and uh, it is a very white crowd in the tap room. Um, so you know I there you know it's it is still a more diverse scene than I think a lot of other places that I've been. Um, yeah. and that's kind of a product of where where you know where where we live and and you know we are still truly a melting pot but um, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. Well, I know it was, I forget when did the, it was the, the back home beer. I remember when they opened up cause they, they were from Iran. I remember, I believe reading mm -hmm. about them. They, they made, there was a lot of headlines about them opening up in, in Brooklyn, I believe it was, but ho hoping to see more of those kind of openings where you're getting people from different cultures, kind of bringing their, their influence in, into the craft beer community. Yeah. And the, and there's, there's a handful of, of small operations and contract outfits like that, that are trying to, uh, you know, carve out a niche to address a, um, you know, 
to address it. I wouldn't say necessarily a need. Look, no one needs beer, <laughs> but you know, a, a desire to to have their community represented on the stage of craft beer and um and and new york city has definitely been a place where that's happened in small forms but you know i i want to see it succeed more and and hopefully hopefully we'll get there yeah and so it was speaking of of the individual boroughs uh chris does each borough then kind of have its own distinct craft scene and and if they do like how do they how do they vary um they they don't really I, you know i i think that um there's there's unique challenges in each in each borough mm-hmm. um so in manhattan it's just impossibly expensive to open a brewery there so you need a lot of capital and a lot of yeah. investors to open one so that's the challenge in manhattan uh in brooklyn now it's it's how do you break through because there's so many breweries in brooklyn you know there are more breweries in brooklyn than any of the other five boroughs um in in Queens, it's uh, how do you find a new niche? Because uh, you know we have the most buried neighborhood uh, in Queens and in, in Long Island City, Queens. Um, in the Bronx, um, I, I think there has been um, you know th- there are two very well established breweries there, and no one mm-hmm. else has really opened in a few years, and 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 those breweries have kind of defined the borough. And then and, and I I don't want to. I did not intentionally save Staten Island for last, but Staten Island has two breweries. Uh, one of the breweries there uh, is uh, making what I would say, and this is not a, 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 I hope no one in Staten Island takes offense to this, but <laughs> they're making beer for Staten Islanders. Um, and, and, you know, Staten Island is a, uh, it doesn't look like the rest of the city. It is far more suburban. It's far more white. It's far more middle class. Um, they are making, they are making beer for Staten Islanders. And then there's another brewery in Staten Island that's not making beer for Staten Islanders, uh, but they're expanding and, uh, mm-hmm. and they've seen some success in, in, in doing that. So um, yeah, I feel like each borough has, you know, I mean, I, I like to look at just the beer scene collectively across yeah. the five boroughs, mm-hmm. but, but no, each, each borough has its own challenges um, in terms of how those breweries fit into the scene and fit into their neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, Miguel, what, what about your thoughts in terms of kind of how the boroughs, if they have kind of some different challenges, different aspects to their beer scenes and, you know, how you would kind of describe them? Um, well, like Chris was saying, I think uh, each borough, because of just, uh, I want to say, uh, because of the communities that, you know, that live there, they're going to have, of course, different um, different challenges, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially boroughs like Brooklyn, that's being very... Um, What's the word? Gentrified. A lot of a lot of the neighborhoods in Brooklyn are are getting gentrified. It's just you know it's economics. It's just a matter of of time. Uh, I think that a lot of the breweries are kind of catering to the demographics that they have. Is again mm-hmm. they're they're running a business. They're not running a charity, so they're probably not going to be catering to the borough that they at they are or the neighborhood they're in because the people who have been living there for 20, 30 years, 
They're not the ones who are going to go and pay $8 for a pint of beer. They just can't. You know, they have all the priorities. So the people who are going to be walking there, walking into these tap rooms, are the people who can afford it. Uh, and usually that is, you know, the white crowd uh, for the most part. So uh, does every borough have a, a scene? I wouldn't say that it has a scene. It just has its different uh, challenges that they have yeah. to, to deal with uh, on a daily basis. Uh, some have uh, been doing it longer than others. So they have been able to maneuver all these uh, changes that have happened since they opened. Uh, some others are got right in the middle of when things were already going. So they have a bigger challenge to try to see, okay, what can we do now? Like to put a perfect example in Long Island City, that's in Queens. There's like five breweries uh, in, a, I want to say like in a less than a mile radius, walking distance. Uh, so, you know, uh, some of them were there from the beginning, 2012, 2013. Some just started in 2017, 2018. So yeah. now they have to compete with the other ones that have been there already. Uh, they can, they, I'm sure they have been benefit uh, with some things, and they have had a lot of challenges. You know, the, uh, same in Brooklyn. There's a spot right now, I think, what, what would you call that, Chris, where uh, threes and all that. What's that neighborhood? Is that Gowanus? Yeah, Gowanus. Yep. So now you have like four breweries in a five block radius that you can just walk, uh, and the same thing. You know, some were there uh, before others, and some are having more challenges. So, as far as a different scene, I don't know, but definitely different challenges for sure. Yeah. Well, now you know you're talking about kind of having these you know, where there are several breweries that kind of like pockets almost be, being close together. Um, and speaking of kind of each borough, you know, it's no secret that getting around New York city can be a very time consuming task. Um, you know, it's, it's not as simple as hopping in a car and you can just jet on over to the other side of the city and go to another brewery. So for people that are visiting New York city and wanting to check out the local craft scene, um, Miguel, what recommendations would you make? And I know that, you know, this is predominantly about craft breweries. Like that's what I always visit, but I'm sure craft beer bars also play a major role in, in the New York scene as well. Well, I kind of disagree a little bit with you. Oh, really? Okay. First statement. Yeah. Because New York city is a very easy city to get around. Uh, it's not like any other cities that have subways, which are, you know, for the most part, uh, they serve no purpose in New York City. Number one, the, the subway works 24 hours. That's, you know, in no other city in the world that happens. So you have a subway system that runs 24 seven and then you can pretty much get anywhere in the city. And if it's not going to leave you like at evil twin, that leaves you in the corner. You just have to walk like 20, 20 steps. You have to walk a few blocks, but it's very accessible. Mm -hmm. And usually when breweries are planning on opening a spot, they, that's something that they have taken that into consideration. How close are they to the subway? Because that's how New Yorkers move around, subways or biking. 
Is so, there a subway? Is there like a map of the subway system that shows where the breweries are for for travelers? Because uh, that would be would, that'd be helpful. <laughs> feel like you've just created a project for me. I know. Yeah. I was going to say because I, 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 I knew mean, Chris it, was going to jump on that. <laughs> to get around, but if you drop me from Milwaukee in there and tell me to navigate the the subway system after visiting five breweries, it may be. Uh, a slightly difficult task, I guess, on my end. But well, the um, the the good thing is that there's a lot of neighborhoods where breweries are clustered, so yeah. you don't even need to, you know, you just need to get to, you know, there by subway and then get back from there yeah. on the subway. That That's might be true. a little bit more of a challenge. Um, but there's also, I mean, uh, in in uh, Bushwick and Ridgewood, in in on the Brooklyn Queens line, there's one subway train where there's the L train where there's a brewery at almost every stop um going out to um out into ridgewood with evil twin being one of those that's literally you turn out the uh the front gate and walk 20 feet down the street and there's your subway entrance uh kcbc which is is my local uh mm -hmm. that's also along that line they used to have a subway countdown clock in their tap room that told you how long it was till the next train. <laughs> so, uh, which was uh, again, like a two minute walk out the front door. So, um, you know, we, we do pride ourselves on, on, on being easy to get around in. And, you know, there's only a handful of breweries that aren't easily accessible from the subway. Um, and um, most of the neighborhoods that have great breweries are uh, are accessible by subway. And, and what I will say about that is, um, you know, a lot of people who are visiting New York are, you know, they don't obviously don't come from the mindset of, oh, let me get on the train and, and go here. Let me like get in a car and go here. Or, or honestly, it's also the mindset I'm visiting New York. I'm going to stay in Manhattan. And yeah. There are, you know, there's a handful of breweries in Manhattan, but, uh, you know, every, every time I talk to someone who's like, oh, I'm going to visit New York, where should I go to check out the beer scene? I'm like, go to the boroughs, cross the bridges, go to Brooklyn, go to Queens, go to the Bronx, take a ferry to Staten Island. The Staten Island Ferry has some of the most beautiful views of New York City, and it's free. And then once you get off the ferry there, you're walking distance from the two breweries on Staten Island. So um, I, I, you know, I really encourage people to, you know, get out there and, and, and explore the city. And it's, it's really, it's a lot easier than, uh, than might be perceived, especially people who, who just, you know, assume they're going to just hop in a car and be there in five minutes. So <laughs> that, that sometimes, I mean, most of the time the subway is faster than driving anyway. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you have anything else to add, Miguel? I didn't mean to cut you off with my, with no, my, no, no, my, that's fine, my, yeah. my project for Chris with, uh, now he's going to have to make me a map of, all the how close all the breweries are to the different well i was just going to make a, a suggestion for for people who want to do that is yeah uh, google maps yeah uh, that's the way i do it whenever i travel anywhere in the world is just use google maps you can find anything on google maps and then once you find the place i just start the place or add the option of place uh, i want to visit so i have mm -hmm. all these little maps on the on the google map google map app and I just go to it and press on it, and it takes me, you know, you can use the subway in New York. It tells you what lines to take, how long okay. it's going to take you. Walking, if you want to walk, you can bike if you want to bike. So I use Google Maps for everything, and I just map it uh, wherever I'm going. And you can, like, plan it, like, see where they are. Once you have them all mapped, you see how far they are from each other, and you can map that. Walking distance, or if you have to take a subway or bike, there's city bikes all over the city. 
which I wouldn't recommend if you're going to be drinking. It's uh, quite exciting, but it's easy to get I'm, there on the first uh, to the but, first brewery by City yeah. Bike. <laughs> uh, but walking, you know, like I was saying before, there's a few neighborhoods where you have walking distance. You have like five or four. That's you know that's a, that's a good amount of breweries to visit to hit in a, yeah. in a day. No, I definitely agree. I think that those are that's very good points and makes me more excited for hopefully being able to conquer New York City the next time that I do get there. Because I know I told you guys uh, before we started recording that. Uh, I, I have not been to New York City since I was in high school, so I'm looking forward to getting back here, hopefully this year even, uh, to be able to partake in the beer scene there. And so now moving on, when looking at a craft beer scene, it's important to also understand how legislation affects it. And it's something that I've kind of touched on on, on other states and other cities because it does vary so much. And Chris, I know at one point back like early pandemic – you're you, gonna bring up the Cuomo stacks, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you were chronic, you were chronicling the the Cuomo stacks, and and while regulate and how like kind of how you know regulations during COVID were affecting breweries, and that can definitely be part of your answer. But what kind of past laws and current laws have influenced New York beer for better and for worse? Can Can I interject for a yeah, for real yeah, quick for sure. before uh, because on on the other question, I don't think neither Chris or myself you talk about how important craft beer bars are in the local scene. I don't think we touch mm. on that. I yeah. think we should mm. kind of pedal back a little bit and yeah, go absolutely. back to that one. Yeah, mm. good catch. Uh, yeah, Chris? I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, and uh, they they had to serve the Cuomo snacks too. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, really, uh, craft beer bars in New York City paved the way for beer in New York. Um, before New York City had a brewery scene of its own, it had a really robust beer scene and it was rooted in the bars mm-hmm. um you know and, and miguel touched on it just in in how he got into beer in new york city is that the the belgian uh beer scene was great here like we had so much and it's really not just belgian beers but imported beers in general like we were the hotbed for imported beer in the u.s um, when a lot of other parts of the country were not getting it. And that really introduced a lot of people to super flavorful beer uh, that they did not associate American beer with at the time. So, um, yeah, I mean, you talk about like like iconic beer bars in New York. I mean, Blind Tiger opened in like the, you know, the mid-90s and, and um you know, they, they were, they were kind of one of my introductions to craft beer in New York city. Uh, Muggs Ale House was another one, which has, has since unfortunately closed, but uh, they were really like formative in getting me into craft beer. And they were like four blocks away from Brooklyn brewery and always had the freshest beer from Brooklyn brewery in the, in the early aughts. Um, yeah. I, I, And and the thing is, like these bars continue to operate uh, like many of them do. And and and, you know, they're trying to, uh, unfortunately, in some ways, compete with brewery tap rooms. Um, But, uh, uh, you know, if if you only have a day or two to spend in New York City and you're staying in Manhattan, go to the beer bars and experience the beer scene that way. I mean, there, there's just some truly incredible beer bars here. And the more modern ones that have opened, you know, since the breweries have opened, um, do a great job of balancing both the incredible beer scene we have here and celebrating the beer here with the number of breweries from outside of the city 
And when I say outside the city, I don't just mean, you know, in the tri-state area, but I mean from all across the country who have decided that New York is a place where they want to distribute beer. Well, I mean, like the, the fact that, that in New York City you can get beer from, um, gosh, uh, I'm going to play favorites if I start rattling off breweries. But, you know, <laughs> but like, I mean, you know, you can get Prairie and Three mm-hmm. Floyds and um, The Alchemist and Hill Farmstead all in the same, you know, beer bar. It's just kind of an incredible thing. Um, and and uh, I would say bars like if you're in midtown Manhattan, which is, look, let's be honest, that's where most tourists stay when they stay in Manhattan. Uh, you've got As Is, you've got Haymaker. You've got um, Greats of Craft, the Stag's Head, Valhalla, that are all like within walking distance of most of Midtown and serve incredible beer. Um, mm-hmm. And you can get a really great feel for the the craft beer scene here just by going to those bars. So, um, and and those bars exist throughout the city. I mean, it's not just in Midtown, obviously. I mean, um, in my neighborhood, I try to balance out my uh my uh time at the local brewery here by also going to the local bars that serve the same beer that's brewed down the street you know um they they want to they want to be a part of this community so um yeah it's it's really miguel thank you for for point for backtracking because really the the without the bar scene here we would not have the brewery scene we do now yeah. And uh, Miguel, do you have anything to add to Chris in terms of the importance of, of beer bars kind of in New York City? Uh, no, kind of the same what Chris said. You know, it's the uh, same thing. Since I've been in New York for 20 years, I've seen like a lot of places opening and closing. And mm-hmm. yeah, they were, they were kind of like the gatekeepers of, of, uh, of, of beer uh, for, for New Yorkers, because again, there were so, so few breweries that if you wanted to try all these beers, especially back in the day, I'm talking 20 years ago, wanted to try any of these of the Belgians or the German beers, or even the English beers, you have to go to bars. And, you know, you have all in New York City, especially we have this very huge Irish uh, influence. So you had all these like pubs and Irish pubs and serving like the freshest Guinness you could get outside of, of Dublin. So, you know, they, they, like Chris said, they paved the way, um, to, to all the, the, the beer drinkers, not only craft beer drinkers, but beer drinkers in general. And now, you know, as of late, you have all these like new places or newish places. There are more modern, uh, tapping all like the, the, the newest breweries in New York city. We pride ourselves of not having a lot of uh, of breweries compared to other markets, say Asheville, North Carolina, or or California. But what we lack in quantity, we have in quality and in mm-hmm. spades. And same goes with the bars. Like you go to bars, like these new ones that we're talking about, Beer Wax. They just opened a new one in Queens. And talking about diversity, this is a, a, a own a bar by people of color, Hispanic people. So, you know, you have places like Beer Wags, The Sampler, um, I don't know what else, Gold Star. Um, so you have all these places that they're 
beer lists are phenomenal. You have beers from from uh, from all over the United States and and the world. So you know it's pretty cool. I'm literally holding a beer wax. uh, Yeah, look at that. uh, I haven't seen it yet because I've been out since they opened, so I haven't been to it. But I was living. I was staying in Ridgewood right before I left, and they were like literally four blocks away from where I was staying. So Mm -hmm. I was talking to Chris and Jahai, and I was like, "All right, I have to." to stop by when i get back um but yeah i I think that craft beer bars uh, are an important part of the of the beer scene in new york city and like chris was saying it's as of late it has become a little bit of i don't know what's the word but um they're competing now with breweries because you know you have a bar and then you have a brewery very close Mm -hmm. by so people have to choose. Do I go to the tap room and drink the beer there, or do I go to the bar and drink all these other beers that I cannot find at the brewery? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's tough. It's a, it's a tough spot. Uh, but I feel that for the most part, breweries have always been very um, supportive of the bars because, again, that's where they sell their beers as well. So they yeah. have to. Yeah. Well, now we can uh, fast forward back again. Great catch by Miguel that we were able to to, to hit on that point again. Uh, but Chris, how, going back to the question on legislation, like kind of how past and present that that has affected the craft beer scene. So uh, I would say the most important piece of legislation that that was passed in New York um, that helped create the beer scene as we see it today is the Farm Brewery Bill uh, mm-hmm. that passed. Uh, uh, just about 10 years ago, it'll be 10 years ago, uh, this year. Um, and what it did was it, the intention was to model it after the wine, the farm winery bill, which had passed, uh, in the late 1970s, which allowed, uh, wineries to open as long as they sourced their grapes from New York state. Um, and so the, concept of the farm brewery bill was to give them benefits uh give breweries benefits if they source all their raw materials from new york state so that's obviously hops and and malt um at the time the only way to get new york grown uh malt was from a malt house in massachusetts that malted it you know took it from a farm in new york state and then brought it to their malt house in Massachusetts and then sold it back to New York uh, breweries. Um, But uh, the benefits that came along with that were things like, you know, ease of operation um, there, you know, farm breweries are allowed to act as de facto uh, bars, basically, as long as they source their wine and spirits from New York state farm wineries and farm distilleries. Um, So, uh, it's really helped create a scene where, you know, you see in a lot of other places, someone who might cluelessly walk into a brewery tap room and say, Hey, can I get a vodka soda? And it's like, you're in a brewery, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, in New York, if you're a farm brewery and someone does that, yeah, you can do that. Uh, so, uh, and what it's really done is, you know, I, the, the best example in New York city is strong rope brewery, uh, uh, Jason, who who 
founded that brewery, his intention right from the start was I'm going to source my beer from 100% New York ingredients, which was a real challenge at the time that he started it. But uh, because so many more farm breweries have popped up, there's been a lot more demand for New York grown ingredients and a lot more malt houses and hop farms that have popped up, especially in upstate New York, which mm-hmm. uh, was historically a hop growing region too. So, um, you know, it, New York is still lagging way behind Washington, Idaho, and Oregon, but uh, it's still uh, it's still impressive to see the beer agriculture here grow and to see that now the uh the like the uh cornell cooperative extension here cornell is despite being an ivy league university is also our state agriculture school uh and they have uh really been uh working uh to promote uh hop growing and Mm. now they've started a crossbreeding program to try to find hop varietals that'll grow well in new york state so that not only can we have you know farm breweries but we can have you know really recognizable iconic farm beers because we're never going to make cascade hops that are as good as the cascade hops grown in the pacific northwest hopefully there's something else that we can use that grows well here and thrives here that we can use in beer. Very. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really interesting. I know about Cornell. Uh, Miguel, what, what are your, do you have any thoughts on any legislation that has either benefited or been prohibitive towards uh, the New York craft beer scene? Uh, well, I will touch, like uh, Chris said, uh, the farmhouse uh, license uh, was pretty much one of the, the biggest uh, assets mm-hmm. that we had in New York city, in New York state. Uh, as far as laws, uh, because like Chris was saying, I don't something that he didn't mention was that from that same uh, from that same license that breweries apply, you have up to five satellite locations. So that's why one of the reasons mm. of all these breweries are opening all these other breweries, tap rooms, yeah. or breweries like Other Half or Finback or Big Alice. Uh, because of this, uh, because of this license, and because you can have up to five uh, satellite locations, you can do that. You know, you can open just if you want just a tap room, you can do that in upstate New York, or if you want to open a second brewery or a third brewery, you can do that. So I think that's something that not that I know of any other state has that kind of uh, of flexibility. And then yeah. as far as it's, it's funny what uh, Chris was mentioning about all these uh, programs because this was 2016. Yeah, 2016. I was working with, uh, there's this uh, gentleman in New York City, very well known. His name is Jimmy Carbone. And he has a radio show called uh, Beer Sessions Radio on the uh, Heritage Radio Network. And he's been running that for like, what, 10 plus years? Yeah. And in 2016, he got a he got a grant from the New York State Department of Tourism to take his show on the road. And so it was uh, Beer Sessions Radio on the road. And I went along with him. So the premise was he had to highlight four different regions of New York State with craft makers. It didn't have to be just beers. It could be just, you know, craft makers. So it was distilleries, malting mm-hmm. facilities hop uh hop farms anything that was like craft or craft makers and so i tag along with him i was the photographer and writer for that 
and we went to four different regions. We went to the Hudson Valley, we went to the Catskills, we went to Albany, capital region, and we went to the Finger Lakes. And on our first, I think it was the first one on the Hudson Valley, uh, I think that segment was called the New Primitives. And it was pretty amazing for me because we literally did, that was like the whole premise, we were going to show people from farm to glass. And literally, that's what we did. We went to the farms, Miglorelli Farms, which they grow the, the barley. And then we went to visit, uh, shout out to Dennis and Janet up in uh, Germantown. They have, uh, they're the malsters. So we went from mm -hmm. the, the farm that grows the, the, the grains, they went to the malster, and they went to the breweries. And we went to Plan B in Poughkeepsie. Mm -hmm. and Suarez, which was not open at the time. So we went to Dan and Tay's house, and they were not open yet. So we were just drinking beers that I don't know where Dan was making those beers. but And then from there, we went to a little restaurant that's no longer open where they serve the beers. From literally, we went from farm to glass. So I saw that whole process, and I met all these people uh, that were involved, and it was amazing to see where all the you know New York City or New York State breweries are are getting their products and then when we went to the capital region to albany we went to visit that cornell uh, facility that the chris was talking about and yeah they were working on a program for hops and yeast and you know all the all the ingredients that you have for beers they were working on that and it was you know it was sp spectacular to see everything that is happening in new york and we also went to Indian Ladder Farms, which are one of the hop growers uh, up in New York State. So just to see all these processes, it mm -hmm. was just so great and be a part of it, you know? Yeah, no, that, that is very, very awesome. And we will get right back to our amazing conversation with Chris and Miguel about the New York City craft beer scene right after a quick word from a sponsor. Hoops fans. Wow. Uh, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. Yep. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Do it right now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get 150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line. 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-79-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK-467-369. And we are back with Chris and Miguel again to talk about more of the New York craft beer scene. Uh, so, Miguel, you were talking about kind of the satellite tap rooms and how that's kind of unique, and that actually kind of segues really well into um, the next question which is about 
you know, opening additional facilities locally, regionally, nationally, um, or whether, you know, growing their distribution footprint. That's a topic that's really has interested me, um, especially as of the last several years, it's, it's changed so much to the approach that many breweries have in terms of expansion. Uh, and so my question is, New York City does have the examples, as you mentioned, of breweries that have expanded. You know, o uh, other half has opened up. I, I don't know how many different locations they have now in different cities. I know they have one down in D.C. now, too, where they do like their loggers. I had that discussion um, when I did my D.C. episode. Uh, but there's also obviously a lot of breweries that have not done that. And so do you feel like breweries from New York City have different challenges and different opportunities when it comes to expansion of any kind? Uh, before I get into that, I'm going to backtrack a little bit real quick to the yeah. last uh, to the last question, just to give a shout out because we were talking about Cuomo snacks and all that. And oh yeah, so <laughs> because when uh, when this COVID thing happened, I want to give a shout out to this uh, Instagram feed that popped up during COVID. Uh, it's called it's called Good Morning Gov. Uh, what's uh, can I my the name just. Chris, help me out. Who created that? What's your uh, name? Are you talking about Megan Rickerson? No. Uh, no. Good morning, she, Gov. She was doing all these videos with all the uh, the bars. Oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, 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 Megan, Megan did save NYC bars, which was also an important thing during the pandemic. Yeah. It's very much related to that. Uh, and she, she actually has a great bar that I should shout out called Someday Bar. But mm -hmm. sorry, uh, another great craft beer bar, but also one of the new ones too, which is important. They, you know, opened right before the uh, pandemic started. So, sorry, Miguel. <laughs> no, so, so we were talking about legislation and all this. So when, uh -huh. uh, when COVID happened. There was a lot of, you know, rest, uh, bars and restaurants. This this Instagram feed was created for that because all these bars and restaurants were not getting any kind of recognition or relief. So they started this this account called Good Morning Gov, and it was highlighting all the places that have been in New York for so long mm -hmm. or that have closed. So, shit. I forgot her name and she's going to hate me for it, but she started this account and she was doing the videos and going interviewing all these people from the bars and it got a lot of traction. You know, it got a lot in the news outlets and, you know, I just wanted to point that out because it was uh, a very helpful thing that happened during the, the COVID, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, still and, happening. And I should, I, I guess we should at least, Acknowledge what Cuomo snacks were since we referenced oh, it, but didn't yeah. explain so what it people is. People that <laughs> may not have been following on Twitter at that point. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, so uh, basically, uh, and I can I can pinpoint the day because it was the day before I was about to take a road trip to the Finger Lakes to visit a bunch of breweries. Uh, so it was July of 2020 um, after breweries and beer bars had reopened. Um, the Cuomo administration had uh, decided that uh, for some reason that is not based in any science whatsoever, uh, that they were going to require that food be purchased with any alcoholic beverage at any place that um, serves alcohol. Um, and this was apparently supposed to be a COVID prevention measure. Um, and uh, for bars, it was an especially big challenge because in New York City, uh, there had basically been a uh, there have been 
no uh, real enforcement of a rule that required bars to have kitchens. And now suddenly they had to serve uh, not just snacks, you know, we call it Cuomo snacks, but substantial food. Um, meanwhile, breweries got away with just selling snacks. So it just mm-hmm. had to be a snack in a brewery, uh, which honestly, um, I have they to got say, creative with and, it. Well, yeah, yeah. They got really creative with it. Um, and, and you know, they didn't even have to sell it. It just had to be available, but it had to be substantial food in a bar. Uh, so it really put a lot of bars at a disadvantage and a lot of them were, um, yeah, a lot of bur- a lot of bars, sorry, got fined. Um, some of them got shut down. And, you know, the, the way that the language from the state liquor authority was at the time in terms of, you know, catching these bars red handed, you know, egregious violations of a uh, a party of eight standing around a table outdoors eating from a basket of popcorn. This is apparently egregious um because popcorn was not substantial not substantial enough um so they uh, had to have a certain caloric intake for it to count i guess apparently yeah (laughs) um so this persisted until uh until april of 2021 when the um it had just gotten so ridiculous and and everyone was complaining about it and it, it again it had no basis in science to begin with and many other states did the same thing too at the time which um i you know, it, again, you know, it, it, New York, it, you know, New York wasn't the only one here that, that did this, but it persisted until April when um, when the state legislature actually overturned it uh, because the governor refused to rescind the the um, executive order at the time. So uh, it was it was a very challenging uh, nine months. And uh, two months later, after that, uh, one one provision that was uh, given to bars uh, during the pandemic was uh, allowing them to serve to go drinks, to go beers, mm-hmm. to go cocktails, to go wine bottles, even. Um, and with less than 24 hours notice, um, the state pulled the rug out from under bars in June of last year uh, to say, oh, guess what? You can't do that anymore. Oh, well, maybe, you know, the state legislature will sweep in and and save us. But no, the liquor store lobby is actually uh, really aggressively fighting this measure that's been just common sense. I mean, almost 20 states have now enacted this um, this law. There's no reason that New York shouldn't. Um, But uh, it's just another way that bars and and restaurants here have really struggled Um, and, and, you know, the, the legislation has been a big part of it in, in both positive and negative ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, we can, we can jump back now. I think now that we've, we've touched on now, hopefully people know on, on uh, Miguel. Yeah, we can. And uh, I, Haley, Haley oh, Carl is the oh, yes. filmmaker of course. Of, uh, Good morning, Gov. So a shout out to Haley and all of her work she has done, which has been impressive. So a shout out to her. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we were able to get her name. Get get give her the recognition that, that, that yes. she deserves. Um, but Miguel, what what were your thoughts? We were we were talking um, about kind of the, the opening of additional facilities slash no, just expanding the distribution footprint, and whether you think like with with New York City, are there any with New York City breweries? Are there any like kind of unique challenges or opportunities that come with being a brewery there in that regard? 
well, I think Chris mentioned something at the beginning that one of the biggest challenges in New York City is real estate, mm-hmm. real estate uh, price. Um, it, that's that's one of the biggest, and that's why a lot of these breweries who have expanded, as you mentioned, are choosing to go upstate because real estate is a little cheaper up there. So you have other have have their big brewery up in Rochester. There you mm-hmm. have. Uh, Big Alice, which just uh, started uh, operation of their second facility up in the Finger Lakes. Uh, I think uh, Finback uh, Finback bought a farm or something upstate in New York in the Hudson Valley or somewhere in the Catskills. Uh, Single Cut has their production facility upstate as well. So a lot of the breweries in New York City are choosing that because of real estate. That's has been the the biggest problem and that's never going to change you know as time mm-hmm. passed by things are going to get more and more expensive so that's that's one of the the biggest uh, challenges for breweries they're opening in new york city uh is, is real estate and as yeah. far as why not all of them are doing it because well you you need money you need yeah. money to to do that uh chris what about you what are some of your thoughts with you know kind of opportunities and challenges that that New York City breweries face when it comes to both, you know, expansion and distribution? Uh, I mean, Miguel had the, hit the nail on the head there in terms of just the cost of doing business here necessitates mm-hmm. that if you're going to expand, you have to do it in a smart way. And, and um, you know, there have been a few breweries that have expanded within the city. Um, you know, even other half did that in terms of just getting more real estate so they could you know, continue to produce beer in Brooklyn. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's a serious challenge. Um, and I think that, um, I don't know, I, 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 I'm hopeful that, um, the city at least here has seen how beer can help create, you know, new manufacturing jobs, and those are those are jobs that are hard to find in, in New York City. Um, and, you know, the, there should be some way to support, you know, the brewing industry here and allow it to expand in a way that's economical to them. Uh, you know, Brooklyn Brewery was an example where they had intentions to build a new facility in New York City. Um, and they had the support of the Economic Development Corporation here. Um, but then their landlord actually gave them a pretty sweet deal on their existing space that, which they thought they were going to lose because they're in a neighborhood that is, you know, wildly gentrified. Um, and that the real estate there is, is, you know, hugely expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of unique challenges here and, um, the stories, uh, that I hear from, from people who start breweries here around how they found their space. And, um, you know, some, some of them just came into it by pure luck. Some of them yeah. had to, sh- had, had, uh, to shoehorn their brewery into the, their brew house into the space. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of challenges here. Um, and it, you know, as Miguel said, it, a lot of the expansion that happens here, it's the brewery starts here 
and then leaves. Although yeah. also sometimes the brewery starts elsewhere and comes here in the form of contract brewing. I mean, yeah. Brooklyn Brewery is the perfect example of that. Brooklyn Brewery didn't brew a drop, was founded in 1988 and didn't brew a drop of beer in New York City until the late 1990s. Mm. Um, so uh, Bronx Brewery, another example of that. I mean, there's plenty of breweries that started as contract breweries because they needed to find the capital in order to open in Grim. New York City. Grim, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Grim's probably the, the best example. Um, you know, I, I went to visit them when they were brewing down in Virginia at Beltway. And, you know, obviously their intention was to, to brew beer in New York City. And I'm so happy they're able to now. Evil twin. Evil twin. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so yeah, there, there's there's so many examples of that now. And, and, and it was funny because around the time that there were only a few breweries in the production breweries in New York city, people looked at contract brewing as though they were just cutting corners and, you know, they, they, they weren't, you know, they, they had no intention of opening an actual brewery. They were just a brand. And then all, a lot of the breweries from that era ended up opening production breweries in New York city. So it's pretty great to see that that wasn't really the case. And, yeah, and, you know, it, you, you meet contract brewers over time and you, you see that they, you know, varying degrees of uh, seriousness about beer and the ones who take it seriously, you know, seriously want to raise the capital to open here. And they see that that's their best opportunity to do it. And a lot of brewers, I mean, and a lot of New York city breweries are now allowing contract brewing to happen too. Yeah, no, no, that that's all great. And uh, so now moving on to talking about some specific beer, uh, are the, is there a specific beer or, you know, you can be more broad and just kind of go beer style, um, if you want that you feel best represents New York city, Chris. Ooh, that's hard. Um, gosh, I mean, you know, I, 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 we, we talked about these questions ahead of time and I was like thinking about like, you know, what's my Mount Rushmore of New York yeah. city beers. Um, because it, it it is really hard because um, you know the the scene has evolved over time. I mean, Brooklyn Lager has mm-hmm. to be in my on my on my Mount Rushmore of of New York City beers just because it was a beer that paved the way. It's it's virtually synonymous with the city. I mean, it's it's still available, you know, widely available at bars where there's no other craft beer. There's at least Brooklyn Lager, um, uh, but. You know, then you have like the the second wave of brewers that included, say, Six Point, and um, and then you had a third wave of brewers that was really started with like Single Cut and Other Half, um, and I mean, you think even Other Half evolved. Like we're not just talking about like the scene evolving; like even individual breweries evolving. Look, Other Half has always been known for IPAs, but you know they're one of the first beers that they put out was, was, was a West coast IPA and it was an amazing West coast IPA and it tasted like no other IPA that was being made in New York city at the time. Mm-hmm. But now that's a, that's a gimmick for them. That, that, that specific beer they've made, you know, since and it's, it's really, you know, it's like, Oh, it's a throwback. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, the 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 rest of the the Mount Rushmore there is is really just 
I don't even, I don't even know how to fill it out. It's really hard because the beer scene has just truly evolved over time. Um, I don't know, Miguel, do, do you have any favorites that like stand out without, without, you know, like, here's the thing. We all have different tastes too. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a, a, a beer that represents New York city because again, there is, it's so much, uh, it's so diverse. The city is so diverse that, you know, I don't think you could pinpoint uh, to one specific style. Uh, I, I particularly, I'm not a fan of IPAs, never have, never will. Uh, <laughs> even though I work at one of the beers that put New York City on the map, other half, I work with them mm -hmm. when they were just starting. Um, but no, I, like Chris was saying, like the, the scene has evolved so much, thankfully, um that you know now we have breweries that are making some i'm I'm a big belgian beer fan and, mm -hmm. and lagers like that's my oh, jam yeah. i'm right there with you um, and, and a funny a funny story when i used to live in williamsburg that's where brooklyn brewery is and i lived there for mm -hmm, like 11 years and i remember when i moved into the neighborhood that was 2004 that was not the Williamsburg of today. That was, you know, the Williamsburg that I love. It was raw. Like, you couldn't pay people to move there because it was kind of dangerous at the time. But I loved it. It was so raw. And Brooklyn Brewery was there. And I didn't know of the existence of Brooklyn Brewery. At least didn't try their beers until I started my project. So, and I remember walking down on Bedford Avenue to go to McCarran Park. And I will walk by the brewery. I just, you know, or I will go into a deli and see six packs of what Chris was saying, the Brooklyn Lager. But, you know, I didn't bother to, 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 to drink that because I was searching for other things. And it wasn't until I went to Belgium in 2013 that after trying all those beers in Belgium, I remember coming back. And again, in Williamsburg, I went into a, a bodega. And I see that Brooklyn Brewery has this beautiful 750 bottles corking cage called local one local two they were belgian inspired beers and i was like well what the fuck is this can you curse on, on your program yeah you're good. you're good okay so i was like what the fuck is this like look at this bottle i just came from belgium and i just saw bottles just like this so i took him took local one and local two went back home opened them and i was like oh my fucking god this thing is so good like this is if not better same quality as any beer that I had in Belgium. So after that, I was like, all right, I'm in the hunt to try all the beers that I can from Brooklyn Brewery that come in this format. And I was trying everything that they had. And they had some amazing beers. And I tried like the Sriracha A's and the one that they did with wheat and the anniversary, the 25-year anniversary and, you know, all these beers. And I remember that was like, I don't know, maybe like a year, two years after that. That I was working at Other Half, we had this event at Other Half, and we invited Brooklyn Brewery, or they invited Brooklyn Brewery, and Garrett Oliver came, and he was doing his very famous for doing this events where he has this like ghost bottles that he labels ghost bottles that are like beers that you know he has in his cellar or whatnot. So they were doing like a, an event at Other Half, and Garrett comes and he's sharing all these bottles, isn't that? And I had uh, it was just 
around Christmas or right after Christmas. So I had for Christmas the book that he wrote, the Oxford Companion. It's like a fucking yep. thick book. It's like the Atlas of Beer. And I had it for Christmas, so I brought it to, to other half. And I asked him, you know, can you sign this for me? And while he was signing, I told him that story that I had never tried his beers. And he was not very happy with my story. Like, he stopped midway. It's like, oh, okay. So he signed the thing, and he gave it back to me. And to this day, every time he sees me, he, he says, oh, look, the guy who doesn't like Brooklyn Brook. <laughs> Meanwhile, my, 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 it's, it's funny because my Brooklyn Brewery discovery story was, was 2003. I was living in Greenpoint, which was right down the street from there. And, and the, you know, I was introduced to, um, Brooklyn Lager at Mug's Ale House. And they were like, oh, you should try the barley wine. And it was the monster, monster, uh, the yeah. monster barley wine. Uh, which was a, it was kind of like a English American hybrid barley wine. And, and uh, it was unbelievable. Like it was like nothing I had ever tasted before. And I was like, okay, this is, this is it. This is, this is, this is what I want to be, uh, want to be in on. I'm going to drink all the beer from Brooklyn brewery. Now. <laughs> um, and that was at a time when um, they were selling four packs of, of Brooklyn monster, which was, I think a, 10 or 11% barley wine for, um, you know, the, the bodegas here. And let's, you know, give a brief shout out to bodega culture here. You know, it, it is, you know, the fact that, that we can get basically anything from a corner store that's no more than three blocks away from us, including great beers was amazing at the time. But, you know, when they would sell a Brooklyn lager six pack for $10 and then sell a, uh, four pack of barley wine for the same $10 because, Hey, it's from the same brewery. Uh, that was a real bang for the buck thing when I was uh, 21 years old and living in New York city. So, yeah, well, we we've hit on, we've talked about a lot of different breweries, a lot of different beers, obviously. Um, and now to wrap up with the question that I think I always like the most to ask the guests, but maybe the question that the guests like to answer the least um, and that is to name three of your personal favorite breweries. And I, I shy away from using the word best because that's so subjective, but just three breweries locally there in New York City that you just really enjoy and that you feel just do a really great job. Well, Miguel, you can go first this time. Three personal favorites. Um, if you need to name a couple extras, you know, you can, but maybe let Chris get his first three in a first, so. Um, well, I would start <laughs> with, uh, fifth hammer. Why, why, uh, why we go, uh, how about, how about this, Miguel? How about we, you name one and I name one because oh, yeah, I like have a, little a feeling fantasy draft kind of, thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is. It's kind of like a fantasy draft because fifth hammer was going to be in mine, but, uh, okay. um, okay. So you do fifth hammer, uh, wild East wild East is it. They open in March of 2020, like the worst possible time to open. Um, and uh, I think they're making incredible beers. Um, so number two, hmm. does it have to be New York City or can it be New York State? Um, that I feel like that opens do, it up too much. York, we can do some New York State honorable mentions at, at, after after we do the New York City. Okay. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> I will say threes. Mm -hmm. That was going to be my next one. 
um i'm gonna i'm gonna say um i mean the beer i'm drinking right now so kcbc full disclosure i call them my second living room because uh they're about 250 steps from the front door of my house so (laughs) easy access yes yeah that that that's 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 one advantage they uh that i have in relation to them that most people don't but it's it's also it's it's worth the track they make yeah i'm drinking a, a rice saison from them right now that's mm. that's really just delicious and then miguel your last last draft pick i guess you could say. Uh, the pressure's on I'm gonna go with uh, Big Alice. Mm. That was uh, that was gonna be my next one. <laughs> I mean, this, this is just—I mean, this is just like a fantasy draft, right? It was like, ah, <laughs> oh, they were next in my queue. Uh, um, okay, um, you know what? I'm gonna say Torch and Crown, uh, just to have a new one in there. Uh, so Torch and Crown. I mean, they're also a fairly new addition to the city, um, but. Um, I'll also point out they're very accessible because they have a, a tasting room in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who are visiting from New York who only have a, a day or two there, if you if you want to visit a place, um, uh, you know they're they're pretty accessible and they make incredible loggers too. Um, uh, and and they've really kind of embraced the whole like New York beer scene in terms of like, um just celebrating you know the things that are great about new york uh in their beers so um that's that's one thing in terms of like the names and their approach and like um their their tap room even their their uh their fermenters are named after new york hip-hop artists which is Mm -hmm. kind of fun um yeah i uh I'll, i'll throw them in there uh, they're they're kind of the dark horse right now. They're <laughs> you know they're they're new and you know what's funny is because of the pandemic, a lot of people who live in the outer boroughs are not going into Manhattan that much, so they haven't had much exposure to them unless they've seen them in beer bars. So, um, yeah, I'll I'll put them on in there. And Miguel, you wanted to give a shout out maybe to some others uh, in New York State. Yeah, well, if it comes to New York State, yeah, there's uh, you know uh, one of my personal favorite breweries in New York. It's uh, Plan B up in Poughkeepsie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suarez, of course, if you like lagers. Those are both know, on my on my wish list to eventually oh, visit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Indian Ladder Farms up in up in Albany. Uh, I knew up and coming they haven't opened yet, but uh, it's called Atten. So they used to be in Colorado and they moved to to upstate New York and you know Amazing, amazing beers. Uh, who else up there in um, New York State? Um, I mean, we're really blessed, right? Like, like just living in New York City, we have all these breweries from upstate who are able to distribute to us. So, mm-hmm. um, Drowned Lands, all Drowned Lands, there. yeah. Um, they they're just incredible. They make amazing beer. Um, really short but kind of amusing anecdote uh two nights ago i was uh talking about a brewery in the hudson valley called subversive um and i was just talking with uh, a guy who is uh standing next to me at the at the bar and uh i mentioned them and 
uh, a guy who had just walked in. I had heard him walk in, but didn't turn to look. Uh, he was like, Oh, you like subversive. And I turn and look and it's the owner of subversive. So <laughs> <laughs> like, things, things that they, this, this actually, it, it's a funny thing, but you know, we talk about how the New York, uh, how the beer scene just in general is a small world. Uh, New York city is the biggest small town you'll ever go to. You will randomly run into people, you know, in the most unexpected places and in a city of eight and a half million people, you would never even think that's possible. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably one of the more unique things about New York. Yeah. We yeah. are, we are a big city. We are a melting pot, but we are also a small town. Well, this has been so awesome guys. I really want to appreciate, I really want to say, I appreciate both of you taking the time to come on and talk to me about the New York city craft beer scene and beyond. Uh, so let's go ahead and we can wrap this up here with if you have any other kind of final thoughts and conclusion, as well as making sure to shout out how people can follow along with each of your individual uh, beer travels. Uh, Chris, you can go first. Uh, so uh, everyone can follow me. I'm uh, brew underscore York on uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I have a Substack. Uh, it's brewyork.substack.com. Um, and then I just have a website where you can find all the, I have a map of New York city beer on there, uh, both the breweries and the beer bars at, uh, brewyork.beer, uh, is the URL for that. Awesome. Awesome. And Miguel. Um, well, my, uh, Instagram handle is the beer trekker. Uh, so you can find all of my travels there. And uh, on the website as well, thebeertrekker.com. Um, yeah, that's where you can find most of my pictures and what I'm uh, what I'm up to. Uh, currently, right now, I'm uh, in Ecuador. After I've been away, it's going to be a month now. I've been Colombia, mm -hmm. now Ecuador, and I'm just trying to stretch this shit as far as I can. So when I get back to New York, it's not cold anymore. <laughs> so it's probably going to be until March. Yeah, He's I know. I know how that is. We we <laughs> got back home to Milwaukee from Asheville right into like the you know believe it or not late January late January early February is not exactly the ideal time um, <laughs> to be back home in Milwaukee, but that's just the way the calendar fell. If anybody is listening and is planning on going to New York, we have opening bash on Saturday, February twenty sixth. That is one of the biggest beer events in New York City. All of New York City breweries are going to be there, plus a shitload of breweries from out of state. So that's something that you want to definitely. Oh, and shit, I forgot. Uh, I want to real quick go back to my three uh, oh, no. breweries in New York City. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Transmitter, Transmitter okay. Brewing. That will uh, be that. That would have been my was... number one. Okay. That, good, good, that is, you know what? I wholeheartedly agree with that. Wholeheartedly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Just because they are the only brewery in New York City since they started that they have not made a single fucking IPA. And I love them for that. And they started from the beginning making farmhouse Saison style beers to this day. And they've been doing it for, they were one of the OGs. So I love them for that. And yeah. I love their beers. 
and the opening batch is going to be right there in the Brook in the Brooklyn uh, Navy Yard. Yard yeah. So yeah, it's, they're, it's they're, honestly it's the best beer event. So so I'm leaving town tomorrow and coming back the day before opening bash because there's no way I'm missing opening bash. It is it is an incredible celebration of New York City beer and an incredible celebration of collaboration between breweries in new york city and outside of new york city because mm-hmm. there's a lot of incredible breweries that show up at this event um and it's a kickoff to to new york city beer week as well which is always the uh it starts the last saturday or the last weekend in february so um an excuse to plan a trip this year or next so yeah well this has been so awesome guys and again appreciate you both taking the time to come on if you are a new listener uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brewery Travels, Instagram at Brewery underscore Travels, the Facebook page for the podcast. There's also my website, thebrewerytravels.com, where you can find my articles, statistics, maps, uh, links for the podcast, as well as links for my merchandise store, all of that good stuff. And remember, whether it's where you're living or where you're visiting, be sure to drink local everywhere. Cheers, everyone. I've been walking around.